0: We all face our own struggles, each unique and challenging. In Romans 8.37, we are assured that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. With faith and with perseverance, we can conquer any uphill climb. Your journey may be tough, but victory awaits those who keep moving uphill. Will you just help me in thanking our worship team? You guys did amazing. Say <laughs> what I am. Uh, I'm just humbled to be a part of a team where we just, you know, we just want to follow where God is leading, and where His Holy Spirit has taken us. So I really felt like those last few moments. Boy, the Spirit of God was really, really speaking. So we want so much for you to just have a true encounter with God. Um, the message that is out of His Word today is out of Luke chapter 22, and it's a familiar scene. Uh, But before we get there, um, I just want to mention a few things that uh, are going on here that I'm excited about. Uh, We have expanded and enhanced our uh, mission kids department. That's our zero um, uh, nursery all the way through fifth grade. And then we have also um, enhanced and built up our student ministries, and that's junior high all the way through uh, young adults. And the reason that we do that, we believe so strongly It's not that we're ignoring anyone else. Um, It's just that we feel at such a time as this in our society and where our children are, they need Jesus Christ. And we want every child, every young person to have an opportunity to grow. You probably know as well as I do, most um, students, um, young people spend about 70% of the day on their phone. They're literally looking at a screen. And so um, now more than ever, they need community. They need a place to hang out. They need a place where God is residing and a place, most importantly, for them to bring their friends. You know, as well as I do, students are dealing with suicide. They're dealing with drugs, alcohol, pressures from the world, uh, depression, anxiety, all these things that are going on. And they need us. They need the church. And so I just want to say a big thank you for your generosity, your giving here, your financial commitment, most of all to Jesus. And thank you that you've decided to make MVCC your home for those that have. And I just just want to say thanks because we so want to reach this younger generation. And I I have a firm conviction that young people, um, we don't want to read just history books. We don't want to look at these accounts that we've been looking through through the Gospel of Luke. As um, Well, that happened a long time ago. Jesus did that. I don't really experience him now. We want you to experience God now. And most importantly, when we leave this place, we want you to have this passion to do whatever Jesus is calling you to do. Our, our role as pastors, genuinely, just from the word out of Ephesians 4, is to help put the tools that God has given you in your hands so that you can do the work out there of serving and loving people who are so desperately in need. Amen. I'm a, I am absolutely in love with King's Hawaiian bread. Anybody love that stuff? Oh, my gosh. When you heat it up, put some butter on it. Oh, it's good. I, I recently heard about a, a worker in the factory that was there, and uh, she worked, obviously, all day. And when she, on her way home, she went to the grocery store. And so as she was walking up and down every aisle, it was kind of one of those uh, got to fill the basket up. Um, people were, as they were passing by, were smelling her. And so, um, she finally, after about the fifth row, she um, let everybody know, um, just want you to know what you're smelling, that fresh bread, it's me. Um, and the reason is because I work at King's Hawaiian Bakery and uh, I have this fragrance now of, of this bread. And I got to thinking about that. I thought, you know, we want to be the fragrance of Christ. We, we want our atmosphere here, what happens in the next, you know, 25, 30 minutes to affect what happens out there. And that's what I want so much for us as we look at the Lord's Supper today. Um, so um, this is a familiar scene. Most of you probably have seen this. It's the uh, painting of Leonardo da Vinci's uh, rendering of the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. Kind of interesting. In 1498, as Leonardo da Vinci uh, used his talent to create this great piece, it was 15, it's 15 feet wide, 29 feet long. And literally, it hangs in the convent in Milan, Italy. But the reality is, when Jesus had his last meal with his friends, it didn't really look like this. It was... Um, kind of in a table was in a U-shape in the upper room. And in that U-shape, they would have opportunity to recline and relax and spend time. Now, what what the last meal represents, I just wanted to go through with us today, get some background about why did Jesus call this last supper on Passover? Passover. So I'm going to read the text here. It's it's a little lengthy. I just want you to stay with me, and then we'll unpack this today. And I believe God has a word for us. Do you believe that? The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was now approaching. And the leading priests and teachers of the religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus. But they were afraid of the prophet's reaction. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted, and they promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. And he replied, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him at the house he enters. And say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is this guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? And he will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal so they went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. And when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table, and Jesus said, I have been very, very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink this wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and gave thanks for it, to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this, this here is my body, which is given for you. So do this in remembrance and after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, The cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? And the disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? And they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table In my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. It was 1890 BC. There were 70 Israelites that were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They traveled from Israel all the way to Egypt. Joseph, you might remember in the Old Testament, who was incredibly humble and yet faithful to the Lord and everything that he had to endure, was second in command at the time in the great nation, at least in a worldly sense of Egypt. So the 70 Israelites received God's favor because of Joseph's faithfulness and his humility. Israelites were enslaved now. Fast forward for 430 years under Egypt. One million Israelites during that time now were oppressed and mistreated. And they cried out, and they cried out, and they cried out. And they cried out for 400 years. It wasn't that God wasn't listening. It wasn't that God didn't want to rescue them. It's just God's timetable is always on time in his kingdom. There was a man that he was preparing. And he had to take Moses through the wilderness for 40 years of trial and suffering and heartache and getting to the end of himself so that he would be prepared one day to free the Israelites, to prepare the way ultimately for Jesus to be born into the world. And so most of us recognize the account where God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and free my people. They've been crying out to me. And Moses, you know how it goes, God, you got the wrong guy. I can't even speak right. I can't speak to Pharaoh. I I, 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 I just can't. And God said, I will be with you. I am who I am. And so Pharaoh refused after Moses went and said, you must let God's people go. So God sent nine plagues. Fast forward now to the 10th plague, which was the most severe, the death of the firstborn child. Israel would be protected if they followed God's plan. God said, I want you to take the leader of the house. I want you to take blood from the lamb And I want you to put it over the doorposts of your home. And if you will do this and trust me and not ask questions and try and figure out and him how about it. But if you will trust me and obey me, when the angel of death pass over Egypt, he will pass over the house where there is the blood. That's a significant moment as God wanted so much for the people of Israel to be obedient to God no matter what. And this is why they celebrate the Passover now. There's an eight-day feast that the Jewish people would flock to to, um, Jerusalem. It was one day of Passover and seven days followed of the days of unleavened bread. And they were basically signs that God is faithful that God is a rescuer, that God can deliver, that God can do anything, that his hand was among his people, and God will never take his hand away, even though the Israelites at times would falter and they would fail. And so this Passover meal that now we see, as we just read about, can you see with me, they are around this U-shaped table, they are commemorating the deliverance that God gave for the people of Israel. And Jesus opens the window now for the true meaning Ultimately, what the Passover meal was to stand for, the bread, is to simply represent life, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that the wine that Jesus would give to every single one of the 12 men was for the cup of redemption. It signified that God would redeem his people. That's us. And that the herbs that were given were a time of remembrance for the enslaved people in Egypt. There was a Kyrios dip that they would dip the bread into as a reminder of the suffering that the Israelites would have gone through. The salt water literally representing the tears that were shed and the passing through the Red Sea that the Israelites had by God's hand. And then they would walk out from that place and they would sing a song. Jesus looks to heaven and he gives thanks and forgiveness for all of humanity. Now, here's a question I have. These 12 men had been to many Passovers. It was part of their culture. It was part of their faith. It was, shall we say, probably at some moments, routine. What were they thinking when Jesus opens the window and gives a whole new perspective, the new deal, the new covenant that is going to be purchased with the blood of Jesus? I just wanted to take a look at seven different things. And if you're a note taker, I just want to encourage you to take these down. These are just some helpful helps on just the context of what this meal represents and what Jesus was really saying that he is now the new covenant. So there are seven important things, aspects about the last meal. Number one is that the lamb would have to be inspected. This is pre-Jesus being born into the world. The lamb would have to be inspected on the 10th day of Nisan. That comes from Exodus chapter 12. What's really cool about this is that Jesus was inspected and rode into Jerusalem. Remember we read about Palm Sunday? No spots, no disease, no defects. On the same day, the 10th of Nisan, which comes from Luke 19. The lamb, to be one year old, Exodus twelve five, 5, and the, called, of course, the prince of life. Jesus was 33 years old as the prince of life in his prime. Lamb was without defect. Exodus 12, Jesus was sinless, never sinned once, 1 Peter 1.9. The lamb was sacrificed on the 14th Nisan at twilight, exactly between 3 to 6 p.m. That comes from Exodus 12. When Jesus was crucified and died at the ninth hour, it was exactly at 3 p.m. Exactly the same time. One more we have here. Do we have one more? Maybe I missed it. The blood of the lamb was God's grace to save the Jewish people. And Jesus' blood saves all of humanity. I just thought that was really cool. How God foreshadowed all of these events that were going to happen through the Old Testament. And this meal commemorates the fact that Jesus is now the promised new covenant for all of humanity. Now, going back to the original question. What in the world were the disciples thinking As Jesus got up from the table, removed his outer shroud, put a towel around his waist, brought a bucket of water and a towel, and here's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings as he bends down on his knees serving James and John. John's name means God is gracious. I don't know what was going through the mind of James and John when Jesus was washing their feet, but I got to imagine for a moment, there's no way this can be happening. He's God in flesh. We believe that. We don't understand all about that, but he's washing my feet. I don't know if Jesus maybe had thoughts as he was washing. I just think it was probably a quiet moment, but as Jesus looked into the eyes of James and John, maybe he said something I remember when I saw you guys down at the fishing dock. John, I saw your heart. I saw how my Father in Heaven gifted you. I remember as they named you sons of thunder. Some said that James and John were like um, the hell's angels of the day. That they were leather robes with camels with racing stripes on them. You know, sons of thunder. They were the bad boys of the day. And Jesus sees them And he sees potential. And then, of course, he moves over to Andrew and Peter. Andrew was the one who's called the bringer. Andrew was the one who said to Peter, his brother, Fisherman, you got to come and see this guy. You got to come and see. I think he's the Messiah. Come. And Peter goes, of course, Peter, I named you the rock. Because I'm going to use you in such a powerful way. Peter, I want you to stay with me. I, I I know there's going to be trial and tribulation. There's going to be moments that you're going to want to deny me. I don't know if these thoughts maybe were in Jesus' mind, but I got to think that there was a lot going on in that moment. James the lesser. And I think Jesus, maybe when he bent down to wash James's feet, I know they called you the lesser, but James, I see so much more in you. Maybe when he went over to Philip, Philip was the, we don't know much about him, but... We do know that he was an incredible evangelist, a Billy Graham type, brought many to the Lord. I don't know if he looked into his eyes as he was washing his feet. and, Philip, I have such great plans for you. Just trust me. Nathaniel, whose name is Gift of God, came from Cana. We don't know much about him, but we know that he was incredibly faithful to Jesus after Jesus had died and rose again. Then, of course, there's Matthew, who I love, Matthew, because he was the most despised. I don't know if Jesus had thoughts as he was washing Matthew's feet. I know that people treated you as you were the complete outcast of society. But Matthew, I see something in you. It's a, Matthew, I was blown away. When you had that party of all the tax collectors and sinners at your house and you invited me, oh, Matthew... And then, of course, there's Thomas. I identify with Thomas. I don't know if Jesus had thoughts about Thomas and what nickname was given to him. Thomas the Doubter. I don't know if Jesus had thoughts of something like, Thomas, I'm going to call you Honest Thomas. Because in just a few days, I'm going to walk through the wall and you're not going to believe And yet you stayed. You were honest with me when you said, I can't believe. Thomas, I love you for that. Of course, there was Simon, who was a political activist at the time. And I don't know if Jesus had thoughts about. I know you're zealous for political gain, but Simon, I have something greater. I'm gonna call you to be a fisher of men. Of course, there was Thaddeus, and then of course, Judas. Now, what's, what's mind-blowing for me about this one? That Jesus continues to wash the feet of Judas, knowing in just moments he would slip through the door, that he would betray Jesus, the Son of God, for 30 pieces of silver. And what's crazy about this is in the middle of all this context, this aroma that's in the room, The God of creation who is serving the lowliest of servants would stand at the door and they would wash the feet of those that would come in. Jesus being God himself is humbling himself enough to wash their feet and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest? What in the world? And Jesus says this, I have a new command for you. That you, friends, followers that you would love one another. Can I just be just extremely just open and honest about this text today? And I really struggled all week as I was, you know, our uh, Pastor Brian and they, Pastor Ryan knows that I just try to put everything I can I'm trying to study all week put as much as I can into this because I want you to have good food to eat every Sunday and if you're watching online wherever you are I want this to be good food for you but I really struggle how do you describe an account that was so intense that this is the very last meal that Jesus is going to have with his disciples on earth before he is crucified Jesus' mind must have been He knows he's going to be betrayed in a moment. He knows that he's going to suffer and die. They're going to torture him. They're going to press a crown of thorns on his head. They're going to literally blindfold him, punch him in the face, and mock him by saying, you call yourself the prophet. Tell us who's hitting you now. And beat him with rods and beat him 39 times the 40 lashes minus one. I can't begin even to... How in the world do we teach on this other than what the Lord led me to out of this account of the Last Supper? There's one word. There's one theme. There's one thing that God was just coming just out of my chest all week long, and that is simply sacrifice. That Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself So that not only the 12 disciples might live, but all of humanity would have an open door to get into the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven isn't just someday in the by and by. The kingdom of heaven is now. The moment we receive Christ, eternity starts. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullness. This is much more than just going back for a history lesson and seeing, wow, an incredible prophecy that God used over the Passover meal. And it is incredible in itself. But what's more incredible to me is that Jesus, out of his love and his passion and his sacrifice, I, it doesn't make sense to me that he would go through all of this when I have slapped God in the face when I have cussed God out previous to knowing Jesus, when I snubbed my nose at Him, when I said, you don't exist, I made fun of people who followed Him, that Jesus, knowing I was a dirty, scummy, rotten sinner, that He would do that for me. It makes no sense, which describes what this is all about. When you love someone, you will sacrifice. Right? When you fell in love with your one and only, for those of you that have, and those of you that are wanting to do that, Hang in there. It'll happen. Pray about it. But when you fell in love, man, nobody had to sit down and say, now this is what you have to do to give yourself up so that she feels honored and he feels honored. You just did those things. You drove at 2.30 in the morning to pick them up. You, you, would, you, would, you would stay on the phone. Back in the day when you talked on phones, now it's all texting, but you would do whatever it took because you loved them. It came from the heart. No one taught you how to do that. No one teaches us how to sacrifice. How do you teach that other than this sermon should be lived out? And all I can say is that I, I hope one day that when Jesus returns, and I hope, man, I'm looking for that day. I'm looking for the day when Jesus comes back. I can't wait for him to peel away the sky and for Jesus to return again and take us to be with him forever and ever and ever. And I'm always joking, man, because I love you all so much. I, I, I can say on all of our pastoral heart, every single one of us here, man, I hope we're all in the same neighborhood. I really do. And goodbye to cancer, goodbye to mortgage payments, goodbye to problems in marriage, good, no more parenting, no more all of that stuff that we have to do. It's all going to be for his glory. So why wouldn't I want to sacrifice everything when he gave me everything? How in the world could I hold back? How can we hold back? I'm not interested in a quick American kind of churchianity i guess what i mean by that is just kind of go to church do my time say a few prayers throw a few bucks in the offering plate and then go on life unchanged life unchanged jesus changed my whole life the only thing i can do in response is to say god my whole life is just a thank you card to you you know when 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 we have opportunities to do weddings it's so fun Weddings, everybody's happy. Everybody looks good. And I'll whisper over to the groom, this is the best you're ever going to look. <laughs> and this is the best she's ever going to look. And in and, and premarital counseling, I'll say things like, one of the lines I use is, I wish we could do this marriage contract like a Verizon contract because you can't get out of it. I really wish we could do that. Everybody's happy. Everybody looks good. And I tell you, one of the things, I'm, I'm really hard on the guys Because in the three sessions of premarital, you're the leader. The Bible says the husband is the head of the wife. That doesn't mean that he lords it over. Didn't Jesus say when he was teaching the disciples, this doesn't mean that you control. This doesn't mean that you get your way. This doesn't mean power. This doesn't mean what I say goes. This is my house. Everybody do what I say. That's the world way. Jesus is saying my way of leadership is this. Washing the feet of the people that I love. So when it says husbands love your wives as Christ love people. See what you guys get to do? When you get back from the honeymoon. Let's start in reality. When you guys get off the plane and you get into the honeymoon week or two weeks, you get to serve her. You treat her like she's gold. You treat her like she's a princess. You treat her like she is God's daughter. The one that, she is your treasure, man. God gave her to you and you honor her and love her and protect her. You would never do anything to threaten her or harm her or to make her feel insecure. Anything else, you would you, you just want her to be lifted up, to be close closest to God that she possibly can, to be the woman that God created her to be. And when a man understands that, and it's not just, yeah, I know I need to do that, but I love her because Christ loved me, and I have no excuses. You will then see a woman who will run to submit to her husband's spiritual authority because the authority would never do anything harmful. If the authority of that man will always look to the best interest of his wife. And when Jesus said that word submit, you know, that word submit takes a negative connotation in our society. I don't take those words from what the world says. I take it from what God says. And submission actually means freedom. Submission is freedom. A man is free when he submits himself to Jesus Christ. And a woman is free in marriage When she submits herself to Jesus Christ and to her husband. It's funny that in verse 21 of Ephesians 5, it says, submit to one another. So guys, we don't always get our way. Just, well, I know how it goes. You come home from work, you want to be served. Right? I want ESPN on. I want a full glass of lemonade. I want my golden retriever nice and groomed. I want the house to smell good. I want dishes in the dishwasher. I want my wife to... Have makeup on and have a dress on, and she's gonna sit and rub my feet and tell me how wonderful I am. No, no, that's not how it works. That is a recipe for destruction. Instead, inst- we'll rewind the tape. When I cross the threshold of that door, boy, Laura, it looks like you've had a long day. Honey, what can I do for you? You know, why don't you take a na- I'll take care of this. I'll take the kids. We'll go down to McDonald's, play in the playhouse. And we'll come back so you can have some quiet time. I'll take care of the dishes. I'll take care of the vacuuming. Why don't you just let me? Let's go out for a movie. You see, the leader serves. And then we serve one another. Not because we have to. Life is too short for have to. I want to because I love her. Because Christ loved me. Do you see how this works? The the, the Last Supper, yes, it was a wonderful point forward from the Passover to the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we get saved. And if you want to get saved today, you can get saved today. You just say yes to Jesus Christ. You accept him by faith. You repent of your sins, man. You know who you are. We know who we are. And Jesus died for all of it. But it's greater than just getting saved. It's about living life the way God wanted us to live from the heart. That's what he was trying to communicate to his disciples. Love. Love. The world is not looking for sermons. Otherwise, this place would be packed. Every church would be packed in in North America. They're looking for someone who lives sacrificially, right? Leaders go first. Leaders at the workplace figure out a way to serve other people. It's not how I can get ahead. If I can get ahead, that's cool. But I'm not stepping on anybody else on my way up. Thank you, God, that you gave me gifts and talents. Thank you that opened up the door. I know it all comes from you, so I'm going to honor others. Buy someone else lunch. Open doors. Help someone else to succeed. Make someone else look good. Give credit to somebody else. Tell your workers how much you value them. Tell your kids. Tell your family, people that are meaningful to you, how important they are, how valuable they are because God loves them. And this experience that the 12 disciples had, I can only imagine. There's two simple points, and we just lost all power. <laughs> it's okay, right? This is so simple this morning. I want to know if we're willing at MVCC. See, this is kind of a holy huddle. Get together. We love seeing one another. We're family We get encouraged, hopefully taught the word, and we're inspired. We get to sing these songs to God. We get to give back to God financially. All those things, that's a good thing. We get into a life group. We get in community. I found family. I found people that care about me. It's not just some religious stuff. But it's more than that, because what really matters is what we do out there. And what God is calling us to do out there. Let me just share with you one quick thing out of Acts chapter 4, 13. Fast forward now about... Two and a half months after Jesus died, rose again, and now he says, you guys, I'm blowing the Holy Spirit on you. You're filled with the Spirit. Now go and do what I've told you to do. Go and do likewise. And it says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of the disciples, Peter and John, the one who denied Jesus three times, the one who said, I never even knew you, the one who said, I don't know who you're talking about, never saw him before. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, why? Why were they now bold where he was such a coward in the courtyard? Because the power of the Holy Spirit in a man. The Holy Spirit will transform your life. Well, I just don't know if I can live for Christ. I just don't know if I can do all that. I don't know if I can share with, the gospel with my friends. When God gives you the Holy Spirit and you speak the word, the boldness comes out. When, when, when the Holy Spirit fills your life, you want to forgive other people where you used to not forgive you want to love people because Jesus loved you, and that's exactly what Peter and John here Now look, for they could see that they were ordinary men. They weren't pastors. They weren't church employees. They weren't scholars with no special training in the scriptures. I got to thinking about that for this message today. We could even go deeper into the Greek and the Last Supper and go... But if I just get a bunch of head knowledge for a half hour, but Lord, if I'm not inspired to do something with what I have, then it's all just academic. And This is the part I love. Verse 13. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. When people see us, When they're around us, what kind of fragrance? Number one, here's what I want you to do. And here's what I'm trying to do better in my life. Seek the Lord. Seek him. That word in Greek, seek means with tenacity. That means to not let go. That means every moment of the day, I'm looking. I'm looking for him. I'm seeking him with all my heart. Psalm 27, 8 says, When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. I'm looking. I'm seeking. When you dated someone, you were looking for them. You were seeking. What are they doing now? You brushed your hair at 307. You ate this meal at 607. You, 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 you seek that person. You look at them differently. I want us to look to the Lord. I want us to seek him. And that means sometimes it's discipline. You know, it's, it's not always get up in the morning. oh, Feel the Lord's presence as soon as I wake up. No, I got to take a shower. I got to get something to eat. Got to get some coffee. Got to get the caffeine going. Okay, oh, then. Oh. What I'm saying is sometimes, sometimes seeking the Lord is hard work. Because there's so many voices, there's so much pressure moving against you to seek the Lord. Because the devil wants you to seek the world. Jesus wants you, I want you to seek my face. I want you to look so intently into my face. I want you to see me for everything that I am, and I want you to see everything that I have for you. And the question is, how do I do that? The only way that I know is i got to be in the Word. have to be in the Word. And there's lots of ways to do that. uh, And in prayer. So for me, I'm kind of simple-minded. I get a little distracted. I have a little bit of ADD in my life. So I got to have a prayer journal. I got to have where I'm studying this, this morning and what is God saying to me and here's people I'm praying for. And that just helps me to stay on track. Sometimes I don't feel like reading and opening the pages of scripture. So I'll just go to the Holy Bible on my phone and listen in the morning as I'm getting ready sometimes I have K-Wave on 107.9 just in the car. So I'm in and out. I'm getting that word in. There's lots of ways to do this. But isn't it interesting that more than not, it says in the morning, seek my face. Because if I start in the morning, it sets a tone for the entire day. And number two is this. I I don't know how else to say it. I, I hope it's easy to remember. Seek someone to serve. Seek someone to serve. Isn't that what Jesus? It's not what He said, it's what He did. That is who I want to follow. Every week, we simply give you an opportunity to say, I need to pause for a moment. And I want to remember the greatest act in history. That Jesus would die for me, for my sins. That he would trust the Father so much that when he died, trusting that the Father would raise him from the dead. And all of that in preparation with a meal. That he says, I invite you. I invite you. So that's why in Acts 20 verse 7, it says the first day of the week, when they gathered together, they had a meal together. So that's why we do what we do. We offer it to you. It doesn't mean you have to. We just offer that to you. We're going to do that in just a moment. But before we do that, I just wanted to close with these words. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all his angels with him, he will sit in his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we do all of these things? Hungry, feed you, thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and prison and visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these Brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Lord, our prayer is not just to listen, but to be doers of something so grand, so great. We recognize, God, no one can take that away from us. And so, God, in these few moments as we close the service, we zero in, God, and the most important event, most importantly, the most important person of that event, Lord, and that's you. We love you. Help us. My prayer today, God, is help us at MVCC to continue, Lord, to follow in your footsteps. Sacrifice loving people. In Jesus' name, amen. So inside the seat back in front of you, there's, some emblems and we just want to ask you to quietly um, have a moment with the Lord and then we'll close with some worship. For an opportunity if you want to receive Jesus Christ in your life I just want to invite you to come and you can just kneel right here at the front just like some of our guys are doing if you have a need in your life and you just need more of Jesus and I'd love for the whole church just to come forward because I need more of Jesus I want to be more like him and if that's you I don't want to waste a moment I don't care what people think about me I'm going to get up come down because there's something about kneeling and just giving myself to you and humbling myself God so if that's you, we just this last part of worship, you can just come and just kneel before him. What, what greater act than to kneel before him as he knelt before the disciples and washed their feet? Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.